everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndieSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame shined in the Sun Bowl with a 40-8 beatdown of Oregon State. As the calendar has moved to 2024, Notre Dame's new staff members will be getting settled onto campus. Perhaps no one will need to hit the ground running more than new Director of Football Performance, Lauren Landau. Landau spent some time with the team in El Paso and will soon be leading Notre Dame's winter strength and conditioning program. To discuss Landau and other Notre Dame football topics, we invited former Notre Dame offensive lineman and current Notre Dame radio analyst Ryan Harris onto the podcast. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Tyler and Eric, and go Irish. Ryan, just to start, what impressed you most about Notre Dame's Sun Bowl performance? I mean, so much. One, you had an entirely different roster motivated to play the exact brand of football that's going to win you multiple games next season. I mean, the fact that Steve Angeli played so well and you had Jaden Thomas emerge as the number one receiver, that's a separate two stories in and of itself. You get an offensive line that misses two tackles and all of a sudden you still are rushing the football with over 200 yards rushing and then your defense performed extremely well and in the final game for J.D. Bertrand and, and a couple others. So just an amazing, amazing performance and job of motivating his team by Marcus Freeman and the entire team playing the game. So I want to zero in on the offensive line since that's the position that you played. And you're in almost a unique position. There's In the last 50 years, there's a handful of tackles that have started one or more games as a freshman, and it's Mike Rosenthal, yourself, Sam Young, um, Robert Hainsey, and then the guys real recently, Blake Fisher, Joe Alt, and now Charles Jagaza. So what, what, how much of a challenge was it for somebody even as talented as Charles to be starting at left tackle with five reps, five game reps the whole year? Well, the first thing is conditioning, right? I mean, you, you get five game reps the whole year, but in practice, you, he's probably get Jagasaw's probably getting three reps per per period, right? So yeah. he hasn't been in a seven play, nine play, ten play drive, um, and also to go against the same opponent for four quarters. I mean, look, the great ones are chess players. They don't play checkers. They don't show you their best move early. And whoever, and when you go against great defensive ends and even average ones, they're going to give you different moves throughout the game. So Jagasaw, I thought, was fantastic. It was really great to see Tosh Baker play as well. I know he's battled through injuries, but also just fought for some playing time. And they played incredibly well. And the play calling was fantastic. Hats off to Gino Gadouli. And uh, it was just a fun atmosphere. And I, don't, I think I really believe people are underestimating the challenge that Marcus Freeman faced with that roster. And then in the game, I mean, to, to be ready – for a fake punt as they were was insane. And so not only did he have his players ready to play, wanting to play, but keyed in on key on keys that were going to make the difference in the game. And they performed extremely well. And offensively, it was behind a great offensive line that really was retooled. Brian, do you think Charles Jagaza could make this a sustainable thing that he could be the left tackle when Notre Dame opens up in College Station? No question. I mean, he, he's got the size, incredible size, and, and he's been learning, too, from Joe Alt and Blake Fisher. And that's one of the things that people miss about a, a school, a program like Notre Dame. When you have the kind of depth that Marcus Freeman has built on this roster, uh, you get to watch some of the greats play. I mean, I remember even before I started as a freshman, I was watching Jim Molinaro, you know, fantastic player, how he managed games, how he managed bad plays. And he gave me some of the best advice that I used my entire career. He said, hey, you, you give up a sack, watch it once and never watch it again. Don't stay in that spot. So all, think about all the intangibles that he learned from Joe Alt and Blake Fisher while, they were there, while he was there, and now he gets to put those tools in motion. Ryan, just how valuable is one full start like Charles had? Like how much can that propel him into next season? It goes from belief to knowledge. That's the difference, right? I mm -hmm. mean, for Jagasaw and Tosh Baker, they believed they could play, right? Each of you here believed you could be, you know, an analyst and a broadcaster. Until you do it, you don't know it. And now you have multiple players who know 
they can play at a high level. And I'm going to go back, too, to Jaden Thomas. I mean, the fact that he had such an incredible game with a backup quarterback tells you how much work and preparation he did individually. So for for, for Jagasaw, for Tosh Baker, for Jaden Thomas, who's had opportunities but maybe grew a little bit more, Jordan Faison winning the MVP. I mean, these guys went from believing they could play at a high level and be a key piece to winning a football game to knowing that they have a role to play in the success of Notre Dame in the future. Ryan, if you were Marcus Freeman, given that you have Tosh Baker, you have Charles, you also have Emil Wagner, Ty Chan, Derby Lambert's coming in, um, Sullivan Absher is a good young tackle, but again, they're, you get into inexperience pretty quickly. If he were, If you were advising Marcus, would you say, Marcus, I think you need to bring in a portal tackle or would you pass on that oh you pass on that I mean and Emil Wagner is a player I can't wait to see play too uh, I know people say he's a little undersized but he's got the frame and the quickness and strength so that's going to be great and really you need defensive pieces look there's going to be a giant hole where J.D. Bertrand was he was arguably in my opinion one of the best linebackers Notre Dame has ever had so you have to get a defense. You have to make sure your defense is right. And no matter what, you need two defensive ends who can really rush the passer. So I would I would not say to get a tackle in the portal. This is O-line U. you got some of the best talent and highest rated offensive line recruits in the nation. Get you know Keep that continuity on the offensive line. But you need to get some guys on the defensive side that are really going to rush the passer, that are going to make a difference in, in winning. And I, I know that more than anybody. Look, I won a Super Bowl with DeMarcus Ware and Vaughn Miller. When you have defensive ends that end drives on third downs, whether each defensive end has one sack, typically those are on third downs, and now you've shut down the entire scoring opportunity for an offense and a drive. So that's what I would focus on if I was Marcus Freeman, getting some high-end, top-quality pass rushers to get into the program. Just to follow up on that, you know, and watching some of the interior guys this year, you had Coogan, you had Spindler, then you had Ashton Craig and Billy Shrell. If you're competing for those, you know, four guys with those three spots, and maybe even, you know, somebody moves in from tackle, but how do you see the interior? Who do you think would be the best interior lineup going into 2024? Well, I think Pat Coogan's the best guard since, you know, for a long time at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be more along that Quentin Nelson line, maybe not as, as highly rated and highly drafted, but Pat Coogan had a fantastic year for his first year starting. Billy Shrouth as well. You know, Billy Shrouth played well and continued to get better as the season went on. I think the center position is going to be interesting, and you got to make and let the players decide. And the best coaches I ever had would say, "Look, I'm not going to decide this this position. You guys are. Someone's going to decide to be the center in this room, and I can't wait to figure out who it is." I think you should take that approach, and with the tackles that played in the Sun Bowl and, and Pat Coogan and Billy Shrouth, you got some great opportunities, especially with some of the experience that Rocco Spindler has been able to get. Ryan, I wanted to circle back on Lauren Landau, who you have some experience with. What was your reaction to him being named the next director of football performance? The best hire that you could have made. And hats off to Marcus Freeman. And people are missing the message that sends to the team. If you're on the team in that locker room, and you get a guy like Lauren Landau, who is a part of the reason why I'm a champion. I trained with him for seven years in the offseason here in Denver. Uh, you're telling the team, I'm always thinking about what's best for us as a team, what's best for you as an individual. And so it's not just the decision to bring in the best possible candidate who has NFL and uh, college experience in terms of dealing with players, training them for the combines, getting them ready. But you are also telling your team that only the best will be around you and you can trust us as a staff moving forward. Ryan, along those lines, you know, people in the olden days would think of strength coaches as a guy that gets you bigger, stronger, faster. Now it's also about sports science, about tracking athletes and getting their best performances and injury prevention. How do you feel like Lauren stands out in those areas? Well, I know from working out with him, half of the workout is going to be functional stretching, which and it's, this isn't new, right? The best athletes in the world have always been doing functional strength. I mean, Vaughn Miller, a teammate of mine, can barely bench press 225, 
five times, and yet he'll get you three sacks and is two sacks wow. away or sack and a half, I believe, away from the Super Bowl record. So this is this is what's best, and I think a lot of coaches used to think of strength and conditioning as an afterthought, but it's a difference maker. And I know from talking to Coach Freeman and his staff, it's not just about Lauren Landau helping with you know adding yoga to the regiment and things like that, but it's also adding the nutrition piece and adding the training table and what do, what do our athletes need before and after games. And that's one of the pieces that Lauren Landau really brings too. He looks at the whole athlete. He, he's somebody who's helped me even after I was done playing. I said, I said, coach, what do I got to do to shed some of these pounds? And he told me fasted cardio and, you know, do some cardio on an empty stomach. And I shed 25 pounds. So it, it, he's, he's a total, total coach who looks at the entire player and it's something that's going to benefit the team greatly. Ryan, how would you describe his uh, motivational style? I know that's that's a big thing in college strength and conditioning programs. What the role that those those coaches play? What what? How would you describe Lauren Landau in, in that aspect? He does not accept excuses. You know, that's one of the best motivations you can do as a leader. Is hey, it, it's going to be tough. I'm going to put you in a tough situation. I want to see you improve. Um, and, and he's not going to accept excuses from players, whether that's being late whether that's being tired, it's just not going to, it's not going to fly. And the second thing is, is he's an encourager, an encourager, excuse me. And that's one of the things that statistically, scientifically is proven to make an impact is not, I mean, these are cold, literally cold and hard places that the players go to when they lift in the spring at five in the morning and six in the morning with the mat drills, you need somebody to encourage you in those moments. And Lauren Landau, in addition to not accepting excuses, will make sure that he can, he he acknowledges your success and progression. And that's something that's very valuable to every one of us, let alone a player who's far from home. Ryan, one of the, I don't want to say concerns, but one of the unknowns that some fans have asked me about Lauren is, since he is an NFL guy, how do you feel like he will be in helping set a college culture? For example, Matt Bayless did a great job with the, uh, off-season accountability teams he had, a whole structure and philosophy. How do you feel like Lauren will fit in that box? Well, he can make the whole structure. He can put it all together. I mean, this Lauren Landau is a consummate professional who's at the top of his profession. And, you know, if you think going from 53 guys to 120 guys is going to be a challenge, I'd say the bigger challenge for Lauren Landau is just going to be the fact that there's, I think in college, some there can be less motivation. A lot of players and this is every program in the nation, they get to college, they get away from their parents, they don't like the game of football, and they shut it down. And so that's going to be an adjustment because in the NFL, everybody wants to get better, otherwise they're gone. That's very different in college, especially at Notre Dame, where you do get four years of a scholarship when you commit. And that's going to be the greater challenge of motivating guys who really do not want to make a change in their life because they feel like they've arrived already at Notre Dame. Ryan, there's been some pretty significant news regarding Notre Dame's offense going into next season. I wanted to get your thoughts on what do you think is bigger news, Riley Leonard coming in as a transfer quarterback or Mike Dembrock coming in as offensive coordinator? Mike Dembrock as an offensive coordinator. I mean, this is a guy who gave me my first start in the hallways of Heinz Field at Pittsburgh. It's a guy who really players love, a guy who holds players accountable, and, and a coach who is just, excelled everywhere he went. I mean, don't forget, he was the offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati team that beat Notre Dame with Brian Kelly. He then went to LSU, and their quarterback was in the running for the Heisman Trophy. So he's been in big games. He's won big games. And more than anything, he, he's, a line, he's a lineman coach at heart, so he's going to run the football, and mm -hmm. players are going to love him, and he's going to make any quarterback shine. Ryan, following up on that, again, I mean, he's coached, about every position on offense. I know he's even been a defensive coordinator in college. How do you think his offensive line expertise might help and mesh with Joe Rudolph in terms of developing that line? Well, they don't, they know that to win, you have to run the football and look no further than last year's Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs. They ran the ball more than Patrick Holmes threw it, right? I mean, they got the best quarterback, arguably, in the history of the game and they ran the ball more than they threw it. That's what you get with Coach Dembrock, right? You get a, co they get a coach who's calling plays, who has experience, 
who knows that running the football, even if it's two yards, even if it's three yards in the first and second quarter, that's going to turn into seven and eight yards, provided you keep calling the plays. So that's so Joe Rudolph's going to have an offensive coordinator who understands the run is where everything starts from. You can't have play action without a run game. You can't throw it deep without a run game. You can't, and the run game helps offensive linemen to just get their bearings in the game of the speed of the game, what the defense is doing. And that's the kind of thing that Joe, Ro- Joe Rudolph and D- D- Mike Denbrock are going to have conversations about each and every week when putting together the game plan. Ryan, after we had a chance to see Riley Leonard play against Notre Dame this season, what are you most interested in his uh, or excited about with his ability in joining Notre Dame? Well, he's an experienced player who has a sense of urgency, and that's what you're going to get anytime you get the transfer quarterback. And he's going to be able to teach the other quarterbacks on the roster how to prepare, what to see, how quick to get rid of the football. That was what was most impressive about Riley Leonard to me, how quick he got rid of the football. And that's something where he's been going to the Manning Passing Academy. I think he's been there three years now. It could be, could be two, excuse me. But I know from working with Peyton Manning and winning with Peyton Manning, He's teaching young players, okay, who's the liar on defense when you see the blitz? What changes in the red zone? Did you change the snap count? Things like that. Even on the road, silent one or silent two. Know when you can do a silent two. Really expect more of your players. So you're getting a leader in Riley Leonard, and also you're getting a leader who has experience from some of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the NFL in both the Manning brothers in how to play that position. But I'll tell you guys, it's going to be tough for Riley Leonard just to ingratiate himself to this team. I mean, I think people are underlooking how the Sam Hartman experience didn't really pan out for us in terms of all measurements and winning and college playoffs. How is Riley Leonard going to get the belief and trust of his team, especially after Steve Angeli put on that great performance? So that's going to be the biggest issue for Riley Leonard coming in is proving to the guys that he is the man to, to lead the team and to, to make sure that quarterback room gets better. Okay, I got a random question that has nothing to do with anything we've talked about yet, but I, it's been <laughs> bugging me, and I needed to ask you this. So Creighton Durham Hall always had elite players, and you would see them on Notre Dame's roster. You'd see them on other people's roster. You'd see them in the top 100 of the rivals' rankings. What has happened to Twin Cities football? Are they all going to Minnesota now, or, or are there not <laughs> – as many good players coming out of the Twin Cities. Well, there was, you know, you lost the legendary coach, Rich Callick. He, he retired. That was a big thing. Yeah. And this, uh, Mike Scanlon retired too. He was a head coach for a long time, um, but they got Steve Walsh in there now. So I anticipate him bringing that team along. And, and especially, I think you're seeing this in a lot of cities across the nation with today's sports and the seven on seven leagues. I mean, many more families are moving to the suburbs and especially in Minnesota, Schools like Eden Prairie, Woodbury, they've become what they call profile schools, which is where teams go there because they know that the coaches are going to get guys prepared to play at the next level. And so there's been an increase in competition, which is great overall. But uh, Creighton Durham Hall has to put out a couple more prospects than it has in the past. Ryan, I wanted to ask about your experience as a Notre Dame radio analyst. What has that been like for you? What what has been the highlight about be, get, your, the, getting the chance to do that, and how much do you feel like you've grown and maybe your ability to do that? Well, it's a dream job. It's something that I love so so incredibly much, um, and and it's one to be around Notre Dame each and every weekend, especially home game weekends, just to come back home. I mean, I really grew up at Notre Dame, and to be there is something I, I love more and more every time I come back. The best part of the gig is working with Paul Burmeister and our incredible team, Bill Carambellis, the legend Dave Dare and Tom Heck. And uh, it's, it's an amazing, amazing group of guys that I get to learn from and grow with. And in terms for me, you know, how I've grown, it's just been a tremendous opportunity each and every week. The challenge for me is what do I want to talk about that's going to inform fans about their team as well as the players? And let's have some fun doing it. So I, I love the opportunity to call games for Notre Dame. And uh, hopefully I get to continue to do that for a long time. But uh, hopefully also I move on to TV at some point and call games. So it's a great place to be. I love the job. It's a dream job, best job in college football. And uh, I love the people we, I work with. That makes it all the more better. Ryan, before we um, ask you about what else is going on in your life beyond radio, I wanted to ask you one more Notre Dame question. 
what did you make of Blake Fisher's decision to go pro at this point in his career? And how do you think he'll do in the NFL? I think he made the right decision. I told him and Joe Alt, uh, both. I talked to them on the sidelines at the Sun Bowl, and uh, it was amazing. You know, I've seen those guys every week and, and you know, for, the, for their entire careers. And uh, when I got down to the field, both of them came up to me right away. And they were like, hey, tell me about this in the NFL. Tell me about that. But I said, hey, you know, this is going to work out. Jump the count. You know, learn some martial arts. But uh, at the end of the day, both of them made the best decision for them. Look, if you don't have the NIL money that's going to outpay you as a rookie in the NFL, then you got to go. And this is what everybody else would do. If you were a junior in college and you had a dream job as a software analyst for or a software programmer for Microsoft, would you have to come back for another year? No, you would leave and start living. So Blake Fisher, I think, is going to be better as a guard in the NFL than a tackle. And I think he'll go uh, in the top three rounds, if not the top two. And I think he's going to really be the next O-line you know, O-line U lineman that's going to have a fantastic NFL career and continue to promote the success that Notre Dame has had from its offensive lineman throughout its history. And Ryan, for for folks that only listen to you on Notre Dame radio, can you catch them up on what, what else you're doing with your life professionally and personally? Yeah, you can catch me on Westwood one NFL broadcast. You can catch me on CBS sports HQ and sometimes CBS news. And uh, I also have a podcast, Gridiron and Growth, with my Super Bowl champion teammate, Benny Fowler, where we dive into the minds of business champions. And more than anything, guys, I'm a dad. You know, I, I played in the NFL 10 years, nine surgeries, four on my back. And uh, the average life expectancy of an offensive lineman is 52 and a half. So my, my number one job and my favorite job is being a dad to my three kids. And uh, after that, I get to have fun with everything I do in retirement. How old are the kids? 10, 9, and 4. 3 is a lot, but it's awesome. <laughs> okay, awesome. That's great. Ryan, we really appreciate it. You know I loved you as a player, and it's really fun to catch up with you and where you are in your life right now, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Eric, you're a legend, man. Always great to talk with you and Tyler as well. Uh, and get, keep it up, guys. I love what you're doing, and, and keep bringing the info to the people. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of our subscription promo for InsideNDSports.com. We are offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to the site. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Insider Lounge message board, and you don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D, when you sign up for a subscription on InsideNDSports.com. You can also find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Inside Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at ND. First one we have, Eric, is from LDL Go Irish on the Insider Lounge. On paper, next year's team shows promise. This year, ready to play depth became an issue. Wide receivers first, lack of experience, then injuries to boot then tight ends, and finally with offensive line. For next year, what positions need quick and major player development to have players ready when the season starts and to fill in for any potential injuries should they occur? I'm going to preface my answer by saying sometimes your depth erodes because it's a rotational position and sometimes you lose rotational players. Sometimes it's because you lose a starter. So it's not always apples to apples. Defensive line is very different dynamic than offensive line, for example. So let's even it out and assume in my answer that a starter gets hurt in a position group. So for me, the two positions that really go into spring in the most peril in that would be safety and offensive tackle, and then maybe field end. Uh, although I think there's some intriguing possibilities. I don't know that there's somebody behind R.J. Oban that we are really confident could step in if R.J. got hurt early in his one year at Notre Dame. I think on the flip side of that, the best, best depth are at three positions, running back, cornerback, and viper. Yeah, the, the three positions that I thought of, I mean – I don't think it's at least two of them aren't very surprising because to me it's the what the questions are at the top and so the depth is also yeah. uh, a question as well so it's safety and offensive tackle 
obviously we you have Xavier Watts, but beyond Xavier Watts, I don't think anyone knows what Notre Dame has at safety. Um, and then offensive tackle, certainly um, Ryan Harris is very charged up and enthused by what the guys did in the Sun Bowl. Um, but uh, if the, those are your starters, you're going to have even less experienced guys behind them. So um, I think uh, those are the top two, in my opinion. And, and cornerback was another position that came to mind. I think you like what Notre Dame has at the top with Benjamin Morrison, Christian Gray, Jaden Mickey. But then after that, um, I think it's a bit more of a question mark uh, what 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 you have at the cornerback position. So um, that's that's where my head went. All right, next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. What is Coach Freeman going to do in the offseason to tighten up in-game operations, 10 men on the field, questionable, questionable clock management before halftime, et cetera? You know, what Mar- Marcus is pretty good about self-scouting or self-evaluations. He'll study it. He'll ask questions of other coaches that he respects. Having Mike Denbrock on board provides a great resource. And then he'll go about fixing it. I think, again, you went uh, from the Brian Kelly regime to the Marcus Freeman regime, and there was so much turnover at so many different levels. There was some institutional knowledge that walked out the door again the the ill preparedness for the noise at duke shocked me um and i don't think that that's going to be a problem in 2024 but but marcus is really good about doing his research talking to people and then growing into those things so will it be perfect next year no but i do think those are the ways he'll go about addressing it yeah, I, I think you just continue to review the mistakes and prepare to not make them again. I don't know that all, what you do in the offseason is any different than what you would do during the season um, because, I mean, Marcus Freeman can't avoid to – or can't afford to, like, let those issues le- – not, and not learn from them immediately, right? I mean, I, I think it's a game-to-game thing. Um, so I don't know that any, any more – time is spent on it in the off season than it would be during the season. And I, and I mean, some of these things you only learn by being present presented by them. <laughs> uh, the 10 men on the field situation. I don't know how many people had, would have had a plan in place. If you felt like you couldn't get a 10th guy out there, what, what, what you should do. Um, and, and Notre Dame obviously has come up with a plan um, for that to happen and, and be able to take a penalty in that situation in the future. But um I think that that's, I don't know, maybe that's simplifying it, but I think that's that's how you go about it. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What's left for Notre Dame in the portal? Do you see them going after any of the transfers that entered the portal from Alabama on Wednesday? There were a couple wide receivers and defensive backs in that group. I, I think the positions they see of need are at wide receiver safety and possibly offensive tackle. I think if there's an elite tight end and there's a concern about Mitchell Evans recovery after spring football, and depending on what's going on with Kevin Bauman, uh, they may pick up a tight end and, and, you know, linebacker, the Nolan Ziegler transfer wasn't um, a matter of a, a possible starter but it does leave them with only eight linebackers now. Perhaps Kahano Kia moves back to linebacker. He was 217 pounds when he left for his Mormon mission, so he was an undersized Viper. He played uh, linebacker in high school. Um, I think they'll reevaluate things in the spring because right now there's 88 guys on scholarship, and you're going to have attrition beyond just the three to get to 85 because you're going to add more uh, presumably transfers. So if you get hit at a certain position, then they'll have to address that. But right now I would say a third wide receiver and the safety are at the top of the list with offensive tackle behind that. Unless Ryan Harris gets his way. Yeah. I think I would be in agreement for most of that. Um, Maybe maybe there's a viper defensive end candidate that comes out of nowhere that that you that you look into, but I don't I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. Um, as for the Alabama portal entries, I I didn't see any matches there. Um, 
from the the names that I've seen. I mean, we'll we'll monitor that and see if um, Notre Dame shows interest moving forward in any of those guys. But I don't think uh, we're talking about guys. I mean, I'm just saying one name, Malik Benson. He was a transfer in from a community college. Uh, so, like, we're not talking about guys that Notre Dame's going to be able to get into Notre Dame unless they're grad transfers. Um, in a lot of cases there. So I don't, I don't see that as, as being very realistic. Uh, next question is from Mr. Nev at Mr. Irish red. How can the transfer portal and the education calendar ever line up? I don't think it can kids see being in spring ball, whether it's true or not, they see it as a huge advantage. We see more kids in the portal this December and not waiting to the spring period than we did last year across the nation um and especially quarterbacks think of that as an advantage it not always is but but again that's the perceived thing and then uh if there's unlimited transfers it may get worse i mean a, a kid could transfer in in january and then not win a job in the spring and then transfer out again in april uh we don't know yet that there is going to be unlimited transfers. We do know that the people that entered the transfer portal in December are eligible to, to transfer without penalty a second time, whether they're a grad transfer or not. Yeah. I, I, I guess I, I don't, I would want clarity on what exactly the concern is here. I actually think the transfer portal windows do line up with the education calendar, right? I mean, you're, you're looking at December. You're looking at the end of the winter semester and the end of the spring semester, or the the fall semester and the spring I, semester. I think what he's what I inferred that he was asking was so that you didn't have all these kids missing bowl games to transfer. Why not have the transfer window later, but yet then you couldn't enroll for spring? I think that's that's what I inferred from the question. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that the problem is that the portal doesn't line up with the football calendar, not the education right. calendar. Right. right. Um, it shouldn't open until after the playoffs. And uh, in my opinion, like what you're putting the teams in the in the college football playoff at a disadvantage um, to be able to try and recruit guys when they're trying to prepare for the biggest games of their season. Um, while other teams are they don't like Notre Dame could spend essentially the first two weeks of December um, working on transfer portal and recruiting because you know what it's not that important for us to get prepared for the Sun Bowl right now um obviously they didn't even know right away when the when that they but were it, heading but to if the Sun they Bowl. have a first round playoff game they will have to prepare in those two right weeks. yeah and it's going to get even worse moving forward with the with the 12 team playoff so i think there has to be some sort of shift in what how this is working um but i'm not exactly sure what's going to happen to make it make it work better all right, next question is at Pangborn1989. For all the talk about a Steve Angeli transfer for a better chance at playing time and maybe NIL money, does proximity to obtaining an ND degree play much of a role in the decision-making process for him or other players at a similar point in their academic careers? I think the key in, in your question is other players um, – because if they're further along and you say at similar point in their academic career, so Steve is a first semester sophomore at, at Notre Dame who has by not entering the portal by January 2nd has committed to the spring semester at least. So he'll have his sophomore year complete. So he's not super close to getting his degree. Um, and so having talked to Steve in December about why he chose Notre Dame, why he loves Notre Dame. I mean, it, that's a big factor for him. Um, but he didn't close the door on eventually transferring. So, and I don't know that everybody weighs it the same that Steve Angeli would. Um, and ultimately uh, I think at the end of spring, if he really, really wants to be a starter somewhere and thinks he can be, I think he's got a real difficult decision for him to make. Um, and I think he probably would end up making the decision to start somewhere because that's also a dream. A Notre Dame degree is 
but playing have a chance to play at the highest level, you're not going to have that chance unless you start. So he's got a way, if he doesn't win the competition on being an understudy for another year, is he going to have the, you know, be the quarterback in 2025? Is that enough? Or are the guys behind him going to overtake him at some point? So there's a lot going on that Steve has to weigh. Yeah, yeah, it's individual for everyone, right? I mean, we can't, like, make a blanket statement for everyone. Um, he's not one semester away from graduating, so he would need to stay another year. Um, I think the Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner examples show you that you can always return to graduate, even if it doesn't work out at the school that you're trying to, uh, or that you've transferred to. Um, I don't even know if there's, is there really anything that would prevent Steve Angeli or, any, or say, say Tyler Buckner started for Alabama this year and became Alabama's starting quarterback and, is a starter at Alabama for two years. Would he just be taking like classes at Alabama and then return to Notre Dame for one more semester later in his life to get a Notre Dame degree? I, I don't, I don't know that there's anything that prevents those guys from doing that. Um, so I think it's just how admissions would, would interpret the transfer credits from Alabama and, and so forth. He's only got basically what summer term and, fall semester at Alabama so that's not a lot if you had two years of Alabama classes or anybody else I'm not disparaging Alabama I'm not sure how that would work but if he really wanted a Notre Dame degree I think they would try to accommodate that yeah I mean I guess I'm sort of saying like do they are they even counting any of those and do they need to like like for Drew Pine I think he was close enough that he got like he only needed one more semester anyways and so like I think there's situations where you wouldn't even need to account for your classes at a different school. If you got close enough to a Notre Dame degree right. um, and just would need to come back for one more semester. And just those other classes just were essentially placeholders until you returned back to Notre Dame. Um, so uh, I know that may feel weird and sound weird. And I think it is, it is a bit strange, but um, I think that is a, a possibility for guys. And so um, that could be more motivation for Steve Angeli to stay Um through the season and get as close to a degree as he can. And then um, have that, the, that sort of flexibility within what, what he wants, where he ends up graduating from um, in the future. Uh, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. If Angeli does not win the starter, how much do you think he factors in that he has missed spring at another program? I know we all believe Buckner would not start at Bama, but Saban implied that missing the spring hurt him some. How much, does missing the spring hurt? Well, situations, again, are not universally the same. A program could have their projected starter tear an ACL in the spring, and then suddenly they're in a desperate need for a starter. And, and there are also quarterbacks that won jobs that weren't in the spring that transferred uh, transferred in the April window and we're able to win starting jobs elsewhere. And then you have the flip side of it of Drew Pine, who was in there the first day uh, of December last year, transferred to Arizona State. And although he wasn't healthy when he was, uh, the quarterback that stayed at Arizona State stayed ahead of him on the depth chart when they were all healthy, and a true freshman leapfrogged him. So the spring doesn't ensure that you're going to be the starter. I do think all things considered, that's what you would want. But again, there's different circumstances where a quarterback underperforms or gets injured in the spring and they really need a starter. Yeah. I think just the time being able to spend in the system is the most valuable part of being in that, in a program for the spring. Um, I do think it matters if, say you're a quarterback who already has experience playing at, at playing and being a starter at the division one level, you can probably make that adjustment quicker just because of that experience you have. Whereas if you're a guy that's learning most of it in practice and learning concepts and not being actually able to execute them, I think it's going to be harder for you to make that transition mid year or mid summer um, and then step right in. So um, I, that would be sort of how I would look at it. Um, 
So I, I think Steve Angeli is probably aware of that, but I think you, you have to sort of figure out what is best for you. And also like, where, where are the opportunities? If with the way Steve Angeli held on to his role at Notre Dame and stayed committed to the team and getting that chance to play the Sun Bowl, maybe there would have been other opportunities for him if he just left early right away um, and found a a role where other schools may have committed to bringing in other guys um, that would have taken Steve Angeli before that. So I think um, even when when it comes to that, the spring semester, that the decision of when you make that decision into the transfer portal in December, I think plays a big role as well. All right. Next question is from Jordan Nicky on the insider lounge, Jeff from Honolulu. Uh, in response to the demise of the Pac-12 and this year's prolonged bowl selection process, courtesy of the ACC, have either of you heard of Notre Dame administrators exploring new bowl tie-ins for the future? Um, well, I think the ACC bowl contracts and everybody else's is up after the 2026 season. Now, the Pac-12 affiliated bowls, they're already looking for new partners because there's no Pac-12. There's a Pac-2 left. Um, as long as Notre Dame is in bed with the ACC with the with its basketball and Olympic sports teams and with the football arrangement, I don't see that changing. Um, but they need to have discussions about what happened um this bowl round, why there was the silence and the shuffle. I think Notre Dame ended up in a great spot for them, but it was uh it was very weird how that happened. Notre Dame and the ACC or Notre Dame and somebody need each other. The ACC got better bowls because Notre Dame is part of their package. And Notre Dame needs to remind them of that. And Notre Dame also had better options because it was part of the ACC package. There was a point between the end of kind of the Big East and the beginning of this ACC agreement where Notre Dame had to dumpster dive when it didn't um, get into one of the higher tier bowls. And that's a place where Notre Dame doesn't ever want to be again. So they need each other. They just need to be clear on what the priorities are. Yeah. I mean, this is even Notre Dame can't be like ACC affiliated with its five game schedule and then also be like, but we're tied in through the bowls to the Big Twelve, right? Is that that's not that's not a realistic situation, right? No, it's not. It's not a realistic situation. So it's 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 bowl tie-in is going to be related to its schedule tie-in. Um, now, now maybe they wanted to be if they really wanted to be treated as an independent. I think their 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 lot in the bowls would be even worse. And so I think this is, and we have proof of that. It happened. Right. Right. So I think this is the best that Notre Dame can do. I don't know that they have much power in um, changing this other than sort of pushing back against the ACC to say, hey, what? why'd you do that to us? Right. I mean, if you think about the end of the Charlie Weiss beginning of Brian Kelly era, that's when they were doing that. The Hawaii Bowl, I mean, some of these bowls are too early in terms of Notre Dame's exam schedule. And then also the 12-team playoff is going to make it less an important of a discussion, but it's still important. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't know what the bowl system is going to look like in three years from now, so I think it'd be hard to to make any sort of rash decisions on your bowl tie-ins when you you don't really know what the what the the landscape is going to look like. All right, next question is from SJB seventy five on the Inside Lounge. Is there a twenty twenty six quarterback that you believe Notre Dame has a good chance to sign, or is it too early to tell? Um, I'm going to defer to you, Tyler, because yeah. I'm this close. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's too early to tell. I mean, even when I've asked about 2026 quarterbacks when they were visiting, it's like uh, they're like, uh, we don't know what's going to happen then. Um, but, I mean, in terms of guys that have visited Notre Dame's, uh, Noah Grubbs has been to campus a couple times now. Um, Brady Smigel is planning to visit later this month. And then Dia Bell is someone who doesn't have an Notre Dame offer yet, but has been to campus a few times now. So, those would be the names that I would say Notre Dame is best positioned for at this time, but I don't, I we're getting way ahead of ourselves in terms of talking about a quarterback that Notre Dame could sign. All right. Next question is from Brian Borahomi 
um, at B Borahomi is BK going to go hard after Al Golden? If he does, I don't think he would land him. Al Golden, I don't think would leave Notre Dame for another college coordinator job. I think he would leave or he would consider leaving Notre Dame for an NFL coordinator job. Mm -hmm. And to a lesser extent, a college head coaching job. Um, and I remember Al Golden, and I think he's been pretty consistent with this, both when he came in and since he's been here for two years. He said, really, the only college coordinator job that he would have taken was Notre Dame. It was because it was Notre Dame and because of Marcus Freeman that he um, – and and again, why why would you walk away from what he's if you're trying to position yourself for the end of your career, whether it's a NFL coordinator or a college head coach, why would you walk away from what Notre Dame has coming back next year, right? To try to clean up the mess at LSU. Yeah, that 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 you would have to be very money motivated, and I don't know that LSU can make it that big of a difference between what LSU or Notre Dame is going to pay Al Golden. Um, to motivate him to leave um, for in order for that to be realistic. So um, another thing I think he appreciates about Notre Dame is just like the defensive players and their thirst for knowledge and their ability to handle some of the concepts that he likes to run. Um, and I think uh, that I think I think that scratches his itch in terms of being like an NFL coach. Um, and I don't know that he would be able to get that at, at a lot of college um colleges across the country but he feels like he can do that with some of the smart smart players that that Notre Dame routinely has on defense all right another one from SJB 75 everyone wants to know our our take on this um in every format this this week um Michigan or Washington who wins Monday night well I've been pretty consistent about thinking that Washington was the best team all year I I get a bug uh, my nose, I guess, is the best place to say that. <laughs> when guys that do the recruiting forecasts have somebody go into a certain school and at the 11th hour they change it, I don't think you should be allowed to change it. I don't think I should be allowed to change my pick. So I'm sticking with Washington. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're like, well, Washington lost Dylan Johnson, uh, now I don't think they could win. I think that would be fair if you really wanted to change your pick. Um, but, uh, we, we're in agreement there. We've, we've both been on Washington here. Um, I, I know you've been voting them number one in, in your poll that you're a part of. I said that they should have been the number one seed going into the playoff. Um, I'm just not sure that Michigan can score enough, um, to keep up with Washington. Um, and even though I think that Michigan should be able to limit Washington's offense to some extent, I'm not sure that they can do it to the extent that would be required for, for Michigan to be able to score enough to beat, beat Washington. All right, and the last one on the same topic from Scuba VT on the inside lines, were you too surprised that Michigan beat Alabama? Many said Michigan played a very weak schedule and that they wouldn't be able to beat them. I know in your last YouTube program, football never sleeps and neither do I. You predicted Washington to beat Michigan in the national championship game. Do you think it will be a close game or a blowout? So, I, I, I mean, to be accurate, I think I picked Washington over Alabama in the national championship game. I did think Alabama was going to win. So I, I, think, was... I think he means that just this past Tuesday, the, earlier this week, when we, oh, okay, after yeah. we knew the results, we okay. still printed Washington to beat Michigan. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't being given credit for <laughs> Yeah, that. But I, w I was surprised that Michigan beat Alabama. Not shocked, but I was surprised and came pretty close to maybe not happening again I want I watched the first part of the game and then I was listening to the second half on radio and they were misleading me I thought Alabama had recovered the muffed punt at the one yard line and then I'm like oh, oh no why does Michigan have the ball I'm confused <laughs> uh but I expect a close game with Washington. It seems like all their games are close, whether they're playing somebody that mm -hmm. they're much better than or somebody that's in their class. They seem to find a way to keep it close, and yet they found a way to win. And, man, 
that quarterback, Michael Penix, and those receivers, I was super impressed with them in the semifinal game. I mean, those were tough catches, and those guys are making all of them. Yeah, I mean, it would be hard to imagine a blowout in Michigan's favor, right? Like, how like Washington's going to score points, you would think, unless Washington just keeps turning it over and Michigan is cashing in on that. Um, so, but I, I think, like, like we said, Washington wins. I think it would be a close game. Um, as for Michigan beating Alabama, I wouldn't necessarily say I was surprised. I, I think if you said, like, hey, Michigan's going to win this game, but they're going to muff a couple of punts and, uh, JJ McCarthy's going to start the game by throwing an interception that, you know what? It wasn't an interception, but he still threw it to the other team. That would be like, really the Michigan's going to like miss and then miss a field goal after they force a turnover, like Michigan put all the ingredients into the game that would allow it to lose the game and still manage to win. Um, I, to me, it wasn't surprising just because I do think Alabama's offense was limited. Um, and that was proved to be the case against Michigan. Um, I, I, the thing that I had the least confidence in about Michigan was their ability to run the ball against Alabama as much as it wanted to. And I don't think it necessarily did a long stretch of that game in the third quarter. Uh, Michigan couldn't really get much going. I think the loss of uh, Zach Zinter um, plays a big role in there. That's Preston Zinter's older brother and arguably Michigan's best offensive lineman this season. Um, but that, that running game came alive late in the game and allowed them to, to push forward. Um, with the victory in overtime, but uh, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, it's been, I, if we get a good game in the final, it'd be a good way for the four team college ball playoff to go out because the, the we retreated to two good games in the semifinals, and hopefully, we can get another good one in the final as well. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who has the same New Year's resolution as you. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideNDSports.com, so please take advantage of that with code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. Even though it's the offseason, we still plan to stay weekly with our podcast here, uh, and Football Never Sleeps over on YouTube. Though the days of the week may change from time to time, we won't necessarily always have the same set schedule that we do during the regular season. Um, but you'll be hearing from us again next week. And until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. <laughs>